Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM streaming live at WON, I should say, ONWorldwide.com, TuneIn.com and the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. We're coming to you with a live audience today from the 2019 Exeter UFO Festival in beautiful Exeter, New Hampshire. The event is organized by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. Okay, uh, Ben is, I'm Paul, of course, Ben is with us, but he's uh, doing the uh, Wizard of Oz behind the curtain thing today as our producer uh, in contact with our studio in Rhode Island, so he's back there with us in spirit and in front of us as well. Uh, but it's uh, question time for the impressive panel of speakers we have with us here today, and I'll pass the microphone very quickly so they can all introduce themselves at uh, hopefully 25 words or less. Hi, I'm Andy Kitt. I'm the science geek for the Exeter Trustial TV show. Hi, Mike Stevens, Granite Sky, but I'm here as Exeter Terrestrials today. Hello, my name is Steve LaPlume, and I'm a witness with the uh, Rendlesham Forest incident. Hello, I'm Carolyn LaRock. I'm an environmental biologist from the region field of Sky Group. Hi, I'm Marina Rose, and I had an encounter here in Dover, New Hampshire, three and a half years ago. Happy to be here. Good afternoon. I'm Peter Robbins. I'm an investigative writer who specializes in the subject of UFOs. I'm Valerie LaFasso. I am an empathic medium, an author, and I am here with the Exeter Terrestrial team. I'm Kathleen Martin. I'm a UFO and contact researcher and investigator, a writer and an on-camera commentator and presenter. Hi, I'm Jim Wiener. I'm here to answer your questions about the Allagash abduction incident in northern Maine in 1976. My name is Charlie Foltz. I also was with Jim on the Allagash, and uh, I teach uh, art to inner city children in the city of Boston and uh, continue doing artwork. Thank you. Hi, I'm Mac Maloney. I'm one of the uh, co-hosts of Mac Maloney's Military X-Files radio show. My name is Steve Ward. I'm a uh, correspondent on Mac Maloney's Military X-Files and also do a podcast called The High Strangeness Factor on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. My one co-host of the Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show. Heard everywhere. Okay, very good. Well, let's begin with our questions. We have no one at the mic at the moment. Okay, we have people at the mic. <clears throat> so please uh, speak very, very closely into the mic as well. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask just the Enos yesterday a question, but since all the experiencers and researchers are here, have any of you had or known of anyone who's had encounters right. uh, I'm being with told, the men in black? I'm being told do not speak closely to the mic. So. Oh, okay. okay. Well, have... Any of you known or had your own experience with men in black, a la Albert Bender and the three men? 
Like okay. the really weird stuff. Speakers, just raise your hand if you want to respond to that. Okay. And we have Jim Weiner. <clears throat> yeah, I kind of, uh, it may have been men in black. I was, when I was working at Mass College of Art, <coughs> excuse me, I used to ride back and forth every day on my bicycle because it was faster to get to work uh, on bike rather than drive. And one day I was driving to work, it was in the summertime, and I was where the hospital area is, um, where Children's Hospital is. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that area. Children's Hospital is there, uh, Beth Israel Hospital. Uh, and I was waiting for the light to change so I could cross the street on my bike. And there were 20 or 30 other people standing next to me waiting for the light. And while we were waiting, this car pulled up. It, was, it looked like an Impala from the 1970s. And there were these two guys sitting in it, and they both had, like, uh, buzz cuts for haircuts. And the passenger rolled down his window and said, Oh, hey, buddy, do you know where Massachusetts College of Art is? And I said, Yeah, actually, I do. You can go straight through this light and go down three other lights, hang a left, and it's right there on the corner. You can't miss it. So he says to me, Oh, you sound like somebody who knows where he, where he uh, knows the city really well. And I said, well, actually, I work there, so, yeah, I know where it is. So the, the guy, the passenger says, oh, would you like a ride? And I'm like, uh, well, thanks, but no, I'm on my bike, and, you know, I, I enjoy riding my bike. And he said, oh, well, no, it's okay. We can put your bike in the trunk. So I was like, no, I don't think so. So the guy looks at me right in the eyes and he says, get in the car. And all the people standing next to me are going, don't get in the car, buddy. Don't, don't get in that car. <laughs> so at that moment, the light changed and I raced across, got immediately up on the sidewalk, took the rest of my drive to the college on the sidewalk. They followed me right to the front door. So that's my men in black. Boy, pretty amazing. Uh, if the question was directed at Ben and myself, I'd, I'd almost have to say no, except for uh, people, not men in black, but men in utility uniforms. We had people at our door uh, for quite a, actually quite a pe- period of the last few years uh, who uh, had uh, national grid uniforms, trucks, and badges, but were not associated with national grid because I checked. So... Take it or leave it. We have another questioner. Yes, sir. Yes, I'd like to ask the two uh, Allagash uh, experiencers. Do you feel you are better people, even through the trauma and all of the event, in some way that you are serving, consciousness raising, helping other people, like teaching art, and how you all shifted, the four experiences shifted their consciousness? Whitley Strieber, who's had many experiences, is coming out with a new book, saying it's more than DNA taking and spaceships and all. There's a bigger story of shifting consciousness. Do you feel that you uh, did have a big shift in your life after the experience? Okay. Now, we can start with Charlie Foltz on that one. Well, actually, yes. I uh, My whole life uh, was being charted for one purpose, to teach, and I ended up uh, becoming a medical artist. I worked with uh, veteran populations as well as children at the Children's Burn Hospital, the Shriners Burn Hospital in Boston. Um, I felt a great need to volunteer my time uh, where I could and then employ myself uh, doing things that uh, 
spark the interest and uh, progression of others. So, Jim? Yes, I have to agree with Charlie. I think it's uh, overall, after all this time, I have to say that um, um, it, it's had a positive impact on my life. Uh, you know, the, the incidents themselves are terrifying, but, um, you know, it's it's like any other kind of terrifying incident, really, whether it's a you're in a car wreck or a train wreck or a plane wreck. Aliens are kind of like the same thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a traumatic experience that you have to live through and work through. But what it's done for us is it's allowed us in our search for answers to meet many, many amazing people. And um, without that experience, we would have never met these. Found out, found the, the at least some of the answers that we were looking for, and um, it, it's really made us. It's made me um, really look differently at how uh, how I look at and, and with other people. So um, yeah, it's. Overall, it's been a, it's been a, po- a positive experience. All right, thank you, Jim. And our next questioner, please. Hi, my name my name is Dawn. Um, my question is for the gentleman of the Allagash abduction. And my question is, you mentioned this morning that you did your regression and didn't speak to the other members of the party. Can you talk about when you revealed that the um, what the regression had actually shown and how that was. Okay. Well, we'll start with, uh, we'll start with Jim on that one. They love you here, Jim. They love you. Okay. Let's see if I can talk into this correctly now. <laughs> it's, it's a narrow angle. Um, <clears throat> when we did the hypnotic regressions, um, we agreed not to talk among ourselves about any of the content from any of, of the regressions, which is what we did. None of us talked. And after, uh, they lasted about a year and a half, and after which uh, Ray Fowler and his uh, co-researcher David Webb and the hypnotist um, Tony Constantino called all four of us, Charlie, me, my brother Jack, and Chuck Rack together, and uh, then they presented to us the, the results that they got from all of the hypnotic regressions. So that was that was the time when we actually found out what came out of them in terms of what each each of the others said, and um, it was pretty shocking. I mean, it was, um, it was it's hard to believe when you hear somebody say all of your uh, your content from your your separate hypnotic regression sessions corroborate one another, and they tell this story. And the odds of that happening statistically are astronomical. So what Ray and David and Tony said to us is they said, in in our opinion, we think you were abducted. And that was a pretty shocking thing to hear, that these people actually think that in all probability that's what occurred. But we've learned to live with it. Did I answer your question? Oh, good. Charlie, did you want to say anything? Uh, Well, no. uh, One thing to add was um, at the time that the four of us gathered for the first time and were permitted to talk freely, um, we would pause to take a breath of air and 
one of the other group would continue with exactly what you were about to say. And it was at that time also we were presented with our artwork, which was all laid out in front of us, and we were taken back by uh, the striking similarities to all of it. So, thank you. All right, thank you. Yes, um, another question from the audience. My name is Alex. I'm from Rochester, New Hampshire. And I want to thank all of you presenters, um, especially the people who have personally been experiencers who have been abducted. Thank you for your courage and your honesty. Personally, I, I believe your stories, but I'm thinking in terms of someone who might be skeptical, like if I were to play the devil's advocate, what would you say to someone who, now this is not my personal perspective, but what would you say to someone who would put forth the argument that your experiences of being abducted by extraterrestrials, um, again, this is a question, a general question to experiencers and abductees, what would be your response to someone who would say, for example, those experiences, the experiences of people who have been abducted, it's just purely psychological. It's purely a psychological phenomenon. It did not happen in the physical dimension. Now, personally, I believe these things have happened physically, but what would you say to someone who took that position? Okay. Anyone? Hands? Okay. Kathleen Martin. I would say that I'm the director of experiencer research for the Mutual UFO Network, and we investigate and we collect evidence, physical evidence. We have uh, photographs of pattern marks on experiencers' bodies, and they have not been published and we have the same marks from people around the United States. That is what I consider to be some evidence. We also have uh, fluorescence on people's skin in patterned marks. The same is true. It's, uh, and MUFON is a worldwide organization. We collect these photographs from people around the world. We know that people are sometimes missing and being sought after when they are having these experiences. Uh, they're not in a physical location that uh, anyone can find, and they uh, oftentimes have a close encounter with a craft or some conscious recall of observing the non-humans. There are sometimes witnesses to this, too, when they are taken. We have a great deal of evidence, including uh, Dr. Roger Lear's, uh, the late Dr. Roger Lear's uh, research on alien implants that uh, physicians have removed from experiencers' bodies. They have been examined and uh, in scientific laboratories. They have highly unusual properties. They're coated with uh, a thick substance. The body does not reject them. They're connected to proprioceptor nerves. They move. They seem to have intelligence. When the surgeon attempts to remove one from, say, a hand, it might run up the arm, trying to get away. 
they uh, are made, according to the scientists, of um, rare earths and meteoric material. There was one that would broadcast into deep space. So there is evidence that individuals are being taken. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, before we take the next question from the audience, I just wanted to acknowledge uh, we have a, a sort of a cameo today by uh, one of our dear friends and a, a co-host uh, occasionally of this show, Steve LaPlume, who's not one of our speakers, but uh, he is a um, uh, witness to the Reynoldsham Forest uh, Affair of 19... Uh, 1980, I should say, and um, is, uh, as I say, one of our favorite guest co-hosts on the show. So I'd like to welcome Steve. Okay. Great. And also, uh, before we continue, I just wanted to um, say that there's someone who is not here today we miss very much, and that is uh, Stanton Friedman, and and there was just a wonderful move. I was almost moved to tears by your presentation this morning uh, in honor of Stan, uh, Peter. So thank you for that, and uh, we all um, honor him. I don't feel that he's gone, but, you know, we all honor his memory. Now, we just have a very brief question from uh, someone. Actually, if if I could just get this one in from uh, one of our friends and uh, one of our listeners in South America. Peter, they love you in South America. There are three questions here, but we'll, we'll take just one right now. Uh, what did you discover as to the exact reason James Forrestal uh, may have been assassinated? Was there some bombshell UFO secret he had? That's from Peter in uh, Bogota, Colombia. Oh, sorry. Yeah, right. Just, just shout. Uh, briefly, uh, otherwise we would take up the rest of the day. Uh, James Forrestal was our first Secretary of Defense, um, created our modern Defense Department, a true American patriot, uh, an extraordinary man in all respects, who um, was sworn in as Secretary of Defense a scant nine weeks or so after something crashed out of, outside of a small town in New Mexico called Roswell. It all ended up on his desk as his responsibility the next day. He had what I would characterize as a fatal character flaw in that he personalized all of his professional successes and failures. And not being able to do anything to advance our knowledge of this unknown uh, or affect change uh, over a course of a year and a half really ate him up inside. And he had a profound nervous breakdown on the day that he stepped down. He knew too much. And 1949, nobody knew who anybody who had been in therapy, and this was an ultimate alpha male. I've worked on and off for 30 years to establish what happened to him uh, in regard to his alleged suicide, and I think I have enough information that I brought to the fore that would convince any courtroom in America that he was murdered, uh, that he was forced out of that window. He did not go out of his own volition, and uh, it is now in the form of a documentary uh, called James Forrestal, His Extraordinary Life and Suspicious Death, which will premiere at the uh, International UFO Congress Film Festival, uh, International yeah, Congress Film Festival in Phoenix, three days from now on September 3rd. Um, you can find lectures that I've given and articles that I've written about him online or on um, YouTube, and it is a fascinating, tragic, extraordinary story. 
Thank you, Peter. And we have a question from the audience. Several of the um, guest uh, speakers were very close with uh, Stanton Friedman, the late great Stanton Friedman. Has he contacted anybody since his passing? And if so, would you admit to it? Or would you be afraid to be, uh, that that's too far outside the line? So just wonder if any of you have uh, had a, an, an interaction with Stanton Friedman. Thank you. Okay, Kathy Mart. Well, Stanton and I spoke with one another quite frequently and uh, at least once or twice a week over the phone. Uh, before he passed, he said to me, that something was very wrong with him. He didn't know how much longer he would be around. And I said to him, Well, Stan, if you do pass, please try to visit me. And he said, Well, it should be a lot easier without a body. (laughs) And the night after he passed, I had just gotten into bed when I felt a very strong electrical tingling throughout my body. My husband was not in bed yet. He was still getting ready. I opened my eyes and I saw like a tiny orb up in the corner. It had a very, very bright center. And I heard, I said, is that you? And I heard him say, Kathy, I'm sorry. I said, prove to me that it's you and not someone attempting to trick me. And he said something else that I cannot remember at this point. I wrote it down at home. But then I was convinced that it was Stanton, and I just said, come give me a hug. And I felt very light touching on my upper arms. So I do believe that it was Stanton who did come to say goodbye to me. Thank you, Kathy. Okay, and we have another uh, audience question. Please proceed. Hi, thank you, everybody. My name is Laura. I'm from New Milford, Connecticut. My question is to all the experiencers. I understand that a lot of you might have felt like it was a traumatic experience to experience what you experienced. Is it more traumatic dealing with the hopelessly rational that try to talk you out of what you know to be true, or was the experience itself more traumatic, I guess? Okay. Anyone care to tackle that one? Okay. Okay. Kathy, Kathy Martin, that's fine. What we have found is that people who have these experiences tend to go through the same type of process that we go through when we are grieving something. Uh, We've written about this in our new book, which is actually being released today, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted. Your first experience will be fear and denial. You'll want to convince yourself that it didn't really happen. You'll try to find all sorts of conventional explanations for what happened, but you're very fearful. You go to step two eventually, 
where you might become very angry about what has happened. You realize that it has happened. But then you might step back time and time again and try to deny it. It's extremely important when you're in this stage that you speak with a professional or someone who is understanding and can help you to work through this process because anger turned inward leads to poor health, can lead to depression. And it's very important that you speak with somebody who believes that this is real, who can accept your experiences. And eventually you will move through the process where you will be able to accept what has happened. You will be able to integrate all of that into your personality, your knowledge, and then you can move on with a new outlook on life and you will be healed at that point. Thank you, Kathy. And Marina Rose would like to comment on the question. Yeah, I just wanted to add, um, I don't know if you were here for my talk yesterday morning, but for me, it was a very loving experience that I had. There was no fear in my experience whatsoever. Um, I actually felt like I was coming home. Um, I feel very blessed that I had that experience because I know that's not a typical experience sometimes. And um, I do feel like a lot of fear sometimes around this subject, and I'm happy to um, have a different story to tell. The other piece that I wanted to add that I actually forgot to tell in my story, which was the most important part, they actually healed my hip, which was another undeniable piece and a very loving piece that they came to give me. So, Okay, and the Steve LaPlume. Okay, I'm actually just the opposite of you. <laughs> when I had my experience, I was full of uh, anger and hatred towards... Anger, anger and hatred towards just everything. I felt like I was duped my whole life. I was lied to. And uh, if anybody knows my history at all, um, I kind of twisted off. I became a professional mercenary soldier. I was very good at what I did because I had no conscience and no no qualms about what I was doing at the time because I just figured nothing mattered. I lost my faith in God and everything. And as far as acceptance, it's been about a year since I finally accepted and just am fine and at peace with the whole situation. All right. Thank you, Steve. Um, if uh, anyone else wants to respond to the question, we'll continue with another question. This is on the minds of a lot of people at this event. The um, emails of about a dozen listeners sent. For the entire of the plan to storm Area 51 in September. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, Area 51 is a shoot-to-kill area. It's not a joke. It's larger than the country of Holland. Uh, you could dry up and blow away like a little salamander that you got in summer camp that escapes under the couch before anybody finds you. I think it's just kind of a lark. It's an idea that people are having a little fun with some are strangely taking it seriously and the thing that it reminds me of most at the height of the Vietnam conflict a bunch of yippies decided that if we all surround the Pentagon and hold hands 
and meditate, it will rise into space. It didn't happen, and it didn't happen. Thank you, Peter. Well, so much for that question. Yes, sir. My name is Fred Ross, and I'm from Dover. And I spent over 35 years in uniform, and I've had a number of uh, experiences. And I, I believe most of what I've heard so far, but I know for a fact that there is an intelligence outside of this, what we know. But I believe it goes all the way back to the biblical times, actually. Back, if some of us heard about the real within a real within a will. And that's those people in the time trying to describe something they saw that came down from the, down from the heavens. But I'm also a person who has survived death 11 times since 2002. And I have seen uh, close up uh, encounters with uh, saucers. And that's another story. But the 11 times that I've died, and I'm talking to you now, uh, is a miracle within itself. But I believe most of what I've heard. But we have a lot to learn, and we're not the only intelligence in the universe. And I think we're more finding out more and more about that. Keep an open mind. And anyone who has business cards up there, I'd like to have a copy before you leave. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, I didn't really hear a question, but if anyone would like to respond, we could do that. Or if, if someone else wants to respond to the Storm Area 51 movement, we go, okay, Mac. We should try to be the uh, voice of reason as far as it comes to Area 51. What maybe people don't know is that you can't get within 75 miles of Area 51. It's it's over two mountain ranges before you can even see it. And so if anyone goes out there, uh, they're going to be in the desert, as Peter said. It's going to be it, it, the chance is going to be a humanitarian crisis more than anything. A lot of heat stroke and. Um, you know, they, they do have shoot-to-kill orders there, but it's it's not the military that protects Area 51. It's a private military contractor. I think they're called Wackenbush or something. They have a really crazy name. And a lot of them are ex-Special Forces guys. I suppose they will shoot you at the very last, um, you know, option. But they're going to arrest you. They're going to cuff you. They're going to put you somewhere. And then they're going to drive you back to Vegas or whatever. Um, but it, it, they're not going to find anything out there. It, it's just as a potential to be like a um, you know, crisis like a hurricane or something like that where they have to get a lot of sick and injured people out of the desert in a hurry. And that could be a mess. Yeah, thank you, Mac. Uh, yeah, just my own response. I've been there, and it's really a dumb idea. There's nothing there, you know, outside of the area. Anyway, uh, let's go to Mark J. from Virgins, Vermont. And Mark wants to know, what does the panel think of the idea that's floating around that certain powers that be are maneuvering the growing belief in UFOs into a new global religion, either to control everybody, bring everybody get together, or both. Anybody want to respond to that? Okay. And we have Carolyn Lorak. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. And um, in addition to that theory, there's people in the technology field who are also saying that the next generation of wireless technology, 5G, is going to help that actually play out because I think most of us in this room understand the mind control programs that have been going on for decades here. And 
that this technology, the 5G technology, was developed for the military. It's microwave technology. Um, it was never intended to be used in the telecommunications industry because it's not reliable. Um, and so you have to consider the nefarious reasons why 5G is going in. It's not necessarily depopulation, which is one of the theories, but I do believe it could very well be used to pacify the population. You know, we all have a cell phone in our pocket. There is little small cell antenna all over everywhere now, and most of it has been upgraded so that it is 5G ready. And at any point, they could adjust the settings, and it would be sending out 5G signals, and it could be affecting all of us, whether to make us enraged and you know, like chaos, or it could pacify us into acceptance of whatever they want. And I've been researching this for two years. I kind of transitioned away from the disclosure movementations to really fighting the rollout of 5G, and I've researched this extensively, and I testified before the New Hampshire Senate on the environmental impacts of 5G. So I really do know a lot about it, and I do believe it could be used in any way related to mind control and these type of um, theories that are out there. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, anyone else on the panel like to respond to that? It's a funny question. I'm, I'm the one with a theology background, but uh, somehow this didn't come up in the seminary. So, uh, But, you know, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean... One uh, does uh, tend at times to be nudged toward the conspiracy theory realm. Uh, I've always tried to keep my feet on the ground. I think Ben and I were kind of getting there when it comes to conspiracies. I don't know, some of the things we hear. I'm sure we'll find out one way or the other. Uh, we have a question from Mickey in Sarasota, Florida. Mickey with an I. This is mostly for Peter Robbins and Mac Maloney. But I would like to hear uh, anyone's opinion. I've heard Paul and Ben say that the military is trying to cover up and work with all areas of the paranormal, not just UFOs. Um, Mac, you want to start with that one? And then we'll hand it to Peter. Well, we know that they're investigating UFOs. The military has. And we know that they've had remote viewing, which was testing people for ESP to see if it could be uh, used in, let's say, espionage. Um, whether they get into other <clears throat> parts of the paranormal, I'm not sure. Should I pass this over to you then? My name is uh, Steve Ward, and, and I'm also not sure. But uh, I, I think that the, the problem is that we always have a situation where the elites all throughout history will keep this knowledge to themselves. So I, I do I tend to think that there are, there are arms of the government or, or black ops perhaps that are in all aspects of these things, but that just so, uh, the lid on it is so tight that we'll never know. And when they do discover something, uh, the elites seldom let us, the great unwashed, know these things. They keep, always have kept it to themselves. So I, I don't think we're going to have any, I really don't think we're going to have any disclosure from the powers that be or that we're ever really going to find out what they know. And one of the worst things is, I think that they do know that whatever it is, they have absolutely no control over it, and they'll never admit that. Okay, and we have Juan Juan from Juan Juan from the Mac Maloney Show. I, I, I keep going back to the great movie Easy Rider, and the first campout between Jack Nicholson, uh, Dennis Hopper, and uh, Peter Fonda, and, and uh, Dennis, Hop Dennis Hopper goes, "Oh, what was that man?" Is you know, and and George. The character that Jack Nicholson plays says that the reason that the government will never admit to there's uh, any UFO activity up there 
is because we don't, we as a government, uh, or a part of the government, don't want to admit that there's no control over it. So we, you know, the United States government or any government doesn't want to admit that there's any, if they have knowledge of it, that there's any control whatsoever and the population will go crazy and there'll be mass hysteria. So that's why they keep a lid on it any way they can. Uh, thank you. One, take Steve Laplume. The other end of the book here. Steve. Thanks. Um, um, because some of the work I used to do, I was involved with um, some nefarious individuals, we'll put it that way. Uh, one of them was involved with uh, remote viewing. And my question to everybody in the audience was, does anybody realize that the U.S. government had a remote viewing program? It was heavily involved. Um, the CIA has used remote viewers, um, I believe, up to 20,000 times. During the Iranian hostage crisis, they used remote viewers to try and find out where they are. And most of the public has no idea that, that the program shut down in 1995. But, I mean, the general public would have no knowledge of that, and they'd probably scoff at anybody that was actually even trying to say that. So I think that's your answer. Yeah. Uh, Andy, did you want to? Oh, uh, Andy Kitt. I just want to add, it's not necessarily the military. Uh, the government does work with a lot of contractors, uh, uh, various think tanks, to either consider it. SRI is common. They've done, in fact, they were intimately involved in the remote viewing thing. Uh, it's well known that uh, the military actually used dowsers during the Vietnam War. Is it happening? Absolutely. Uh, how much of it's happening? I don't know, because the think tanks are kind of outside gov uh, government jurisdiction. They're paid to come up with answers, and they come up with the answers, but the process, what they look at, what they do, is not necessarily under our purview. Okay, thank you, Andy. And we'll uh, hand it over to Peter Roberts here. Once I get around this mic. Okay. Uh, to follow up briefly on my colleagues, we're talking about the military here. As the expression goes, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. This is the military. They have an interest in anything they can weaponize, whether or not it's parapsychology, uh, earth energies, um, harmony among people, um, new technology. As Stanton Friedman used to point out, the push to get to crack UFO technology was not based on, you know, free energy or bringing us all together. It was based on weaponizing it. Whoever can do that first wins. And that's the mindset of the individuals who continue to run the world military. It's one of the reasons we all have to be on guard, in a sense, and be aware that this is the nature of these agencies all over the world. Thank you, Peter. Uh, anyone else? Okay. We have a, our faithful questioner from the audience. There are 13 panelists. I'd like to have a raise of hands of anybody that trusts To the Stars Academy. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> right. Didn't mean anybody that. Anybody trust To the Stars Academy to help with disclosure? No one is far. Oh, Peter, you can speak on it. Thank you. Peter Robbins. Uh, let me say at the outset, um, I have not immersed myself in this subject. Like anybody in the field, I'm intrigued, I'm concerned, I'm wary, and I'm watchful. I'm an optimist by nature. I hope for the best. I think Tom DeLong, who is heading this effort, um, a former front man for a well-known rock and roll group, any song of which, if I was caused, had to identify, I would lose my life because I don't know any of the music. 
Um, I think he's very sincere. I think the chances are good that the organization and certain individuals involved in it are already to some degree co-opted. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I think the fact that it put together as a business to make money using entertainment to help disclosure is a noble idea, and I think time will tell. But I have to remain on the cautious side myself. All right. Thank you, Peter. Um, just uh, personally, uh, uh, who, who here believes what the government says? Uh, no hands. All right. Okay. I get that. And, uh, you know, we often say, I mean, personally, I mean, I think disclosure, to expect uh, disclosure in any uh, accurate or complete way is naive, but they keep talking about it. So, hey, we can always hope. You know, I'm an optimistic guy. All right. Okay. So let's, and any other comments on that uh, that point? Okay. Uh, let's go to one from uh, several listeners, and I combined this into one sentence here. Can Kathleen Martin explain her idea of accidental awareness, which came up on a show about eight years ago, uh, and how it relates to remembering alien encounters? Okay. If you go to my website at kathleen-martin.com, you will read an article that I wrote in to, as a refutation of uh, a psychiatrist, academic psychiatrist's uh, idea that Betty and Barney Hill were not really abducted, that what they remembered was something related to surgery that either of them might have had at some point in the past. Well, the fact is that accidental awareness is where uh, the anesthesia is given at the improper dose, and you wake up too early. And uh, it's sort of like a near-death experience. I'm sorry, it's something like uh, a sleep paralysis kind of experience where you become aware, There, you might see shadowy figures, you uh, might feel weight, but, uh, and, but you'll become fearful. Well, that psychiatrist obviously had no knowledge about Betty's and Barney's experience had no knowledge that this craft was seen by 12 to 14 witnesses that night, that it was picked up on two radar targets, that Betty and Barney had physical evidence that they had observed this craft for about an hour before they were actually abducted. So... uh, if you want to, you can go to my website and read what I wrote about that, but I thought that it was a ludicrous explanation. Uh, Kathy, while you have the mic, well, figuratively speaking, uh, tell us about your new book. My new book, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted, uh, is the result of a very long process that my team and I have gone through. I am the director of the Mutual UFO Networks Experiencer Research Team. We have up to 150 people every month who 
asked to speak with a team member. The team is not an investigative group, although everyone on the team is a field investigator, or I think we have a couple who are not. Uh, They speak with experiencers to help them to sort out what has occurred in their lives. They are non-judgmental and supportive in speaking with individuals. They're not going to criticize anyone. They will collect your evidence if you haven't. This book was written by myself and three members of my team. One is a retired, Maddie Tobias, a retired uh, psychiatric nurse who worked with veterans who were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder throughout her, act, her career. We have Anne Castle, who began her career working as a psychologist in a psychiatric hospital. She then moved on to the IT industry. Something about Anne is that she's also highly psychic, and she works with police departments uh, to find missing persons. And then we have Denise Stoner. And Denise has written two chapters in the book, or part of two chapters. She is our specialist in paranormal activity, and also negative entities and what to do if there are negative entities in your life. Negative interdimensionals who are not, do not have the characteristics of extraterrestrials. Uh, I wrote about several of the cases that I have investigated, different types of cases from uh, benevolent, pleasant contact to negative contact. Uh, I also have written a chapter on suggestions on how to make this end if you want it to stop. There's a chapter on what to do if you want to go public and what you can expect. There's a chapter on academic studies that have been done on experiencers and much, much more. Three chapters are devoted to coping techniques. So I hope that you'll pick up the book if you've had these experiences. Also, if you love someone who has had these experiences or if you are just interested in contact experiences. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, We have two more questions from South America. They love you there, Peter. They love you. Uh, For Peter, and uh, I'll combine the two of them. Do you think there was anything mysterious about the death of Bud Hopkins, to whom you were very close? And what project was Bud working on at the time of his death? Peter Robin. No, I don't think there was a conspiracy play uh, undue hand or dark forces or anything. Um, Bud was suffering from a particular kind of cancer. It was his second bout in his life with cancer. The first many years before was kidney cancer, and he lost a kidney. Um, he died at the age of 80. Uh, a very full life, and um, it was basically the most natural thing in the world, as death is at the end of a life where, you know, a person is ill. Um, What was he working on? The same thing that he had been working on for decades. Uh, The abduction phenomena um, and the mechanisms behind it, primarily for him, it was about being there for people, who had had experiences that they had trouble adjusting to. 
Um, he was not working on a new book or a film or any project per se. His health precluded that, as it does in the last year or two of, of cancer that makes you very weak. Um, he died, I think, on August 21st of 2011. He told me several months before he died, and he was a pragmatist, agnostic, humanist, proud liberal with a capital L, who felt that his immortality would lie in um, his daughter, his granddaughter, his friendships, the good work that he did, his writing, and his wonderful artworks. He also had a wickedly fabulous sense of humor, and over the 35 years of our friendship, I often was oblivious that a joke was coming because he'd tell it to me with a straight face. But he did say a few months before he died that uh, he was at peace with everything. He did have two final requests. Uh, one was that he reached the age of 80. His birthday was June 15th. We had a very nice party with 15 or 20 people there with champagne and cake, and we all went home, and it was a lovely evening, and that he would outlive Dick Cheney. It was not until October that we had a, uh, a wonderful memorial for him uh, at the Quaker Meeting House where his daughter had attended school um, um, in a beautiful part of Manhattan um, on 16th Street, a Civil War era, era building like this. And I got to give a eulogy and tell that story, and it brought down the house. I also got to say, one out of two ain't bad. All right, thank you, Peter. Uh, we have more questions, but we have not heard from Valerie uh, Lafaso today or, or really uh, Mike Stevens um, outside of the panel here. So can we, if you have anything to say on anything we've discussed, now's the time. No, uh, okay. All right, all right. Okay. Well, let's go back to South America again, where you are not unappreciated, Kathy, okay? So uh, can you please ask Kathleen Martin? Uh, can you share some of the latest information about investigating alien implants? And you did mention that in one of your uh, previous statements. Uh, Dr. Roger Lear had claimed he had detected implants transmitting signals into deep space. Uh, what has happened since his death in this area? And uh, the, the further comment uh, is, do you know if there was anything strange about Dr. Lear's death? They're very suspicious in South America. Yeah. In my opinion, there is nothing suspicious about Roger Lear's death. I saw him uh, a few times before uh, he passed away. He had been involved in a car accident, and his his health was poor after that. And uh, I, we were not surprised that this happened. Uh, in terms of where we have gone since then, I have to say that there has not been a medical doctor who has picked up that work and carried it forward. Uh, we have to have great uh, we, gratitude for the work that he did. And, uh, of course, there is Daryl Sims. And Daryl Sims at one point did work with Dr. Lear. And Daryl Sims continues to uh, accept implants and has at recently gone to India, where uh, he worked as the medical hypnotist 
during the removal of what they believed was an implant, and it was going to be scientifically investigated. But uh, we are still looking for a medical doctor who will step forward and have an interest in this. And many people have contacted the Mutual UFO Network about this. Uh, we do have a team of scientists who have developed protocols for the investigation. You can get in touch with MUFON, but you will have to go to your own medical doctor and you will have to pay to have that removed. Okay, thank you, Kathy. I think we have time for one more question from the audience. Uh, this is for, for A.J. Kitt. Um, do you believe that we are living in a uh, matrix-type environment world, perhaps? And also, favorite movies, science fiction movies, that maybe tell us more about what is really going on in the world? Uh, as far as favorite movie that tells us what is going on, The Matrix is a great example. The problem is there's absolutely no way to tell if we are in a Matrix world. Even if you think you wake up, which one's the real world? So, there it is. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, I would like to thank our panel and certainly our live audience for a very interesting show covering many, many topics. And we uh, hope that you'll be back next year with us. Okay. And uh, we want to thank especially the Kiwanis uh, area, Exeter Area Kiwanis Club, which has just done a fabulous job. This event keeps, this, Ben and I have been here for at least eight years now, and mo many of the panelists as well. It just keeps getting bigger and better. And here comes Brian Wall, who's uh, the man behind the throne here on this, and we thank him and all the folks from the Kiwanis Club for the tremendous job they do here and the wonderful support for the local children's uh, charities as well. Okay. Okay. And uh, can we acknowledge the uh, Wizard of Oz here? Ben, uh, can you step out behind the curtain for uh, five seconds here? And uh, thank you for your uh, production work. I don't know, he's, uh, he's not shy. He's probably talking to the station manager. Oh, well, we, uh, take my word for it that he's there. Now, uh, just a little bit of, um, I guess, promotion here. Uh, I have a new book out, too. Kathy and I both sold out. Uh, at this event. Since I last saw you, we sold out too, so that's all good. Here he is. All right. Oh, what am I doing? Okay. That's Ben. Okay. So uh, we're, we're going to dispense with sort of most of our announcements uh, for the few minutes that are left. However, uh, there are links to several charities our show supports, so we encourage you to support those, uh, including USA Cares, which provides financial uh, assistance to U.S. veterans, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy. Uh, I myself am half Canadian, and we respect our veterans there, too, who uh, stand by our side on many of the fronts in the world. Helping Haiti's Orphans. You might not have, we know all the people who run these charities and the money goes to the right place. Helping Haiti's orphans is great. Uh, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. Uh, the uh, folks out there doing a tremendous job. Tony LeRae, uh, helping at-risk youth in that, in that great city. Uh, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. Okay. Yeah, we're down to one minute here. So please go to our website, behindtheparanormal.com, and there's a link to the charities page. 
Uh, there were also uh, used to be 850 recorded shows, but we keep getting attacked. Uh, but they are being put out on various plat- platforms now uh, for the podcast uh, world, and so you can get our recorded shows there, including this one uh, next week. So uh, we will uh, next week. We have uh, Mac Maloney, none other than. Uh, on our show, uh, that'll be uh, on the subject of military X-Files. What's that? 30 seconds. 30 seconds, okay. So uh, next week we'll welcome Mac, and we'll leave you this afternoon from a thought from the old darling Albert Einstein, imagination is more important than knowledge. I'm Paul Eno. That's Ben Eno. Here's our panel, and thank you very, very much. Okay. There's more. Okay, good. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.